What's up, everybody? I'm Graham. I am the producer of the podcast, and I also live with Eric. And I'm currently in Chicago, and Eric's back in Austin. And uh, he kind of needs me there to record his intros. So since we can't meet in person, he just suggested that I record the intro. So here we are. Hello. This episode was with a guy named David Gilbert. Uh, super nice guy. I just met him a couple weeks ago. He is a performance and life coach, um, working with high achievers and really tapping into peak states and flow states to help people maximize their productivity. He also just started an online community called The Golden Life, which I will link to in the show notes along with all of his other links so you can connect with him. David is also a member of Fit for Service. He was a member at the very beginning, and then he just joined again for the most recent event in Texas. And um, he and Eric get into a little bit of a critique of Fit for Service in good faith. They talk about how important integration is and how that should be at the forefront of the values of both the members and the facilitators. I think it can be easy to go to an event like this or have some sort of awakening experience and then kind of fall back into the pattern of your life and then feel like you need to continue having those experiences instead of taking the time to integrate them. Uh, that's definitely something that I do. So uh, that kind of felt like the foundation of this conversation, uh, but they get into a bunch of really dope shit. I know you guys are going to love this one. You guys know what to do. Rate and review the podcast. Uh, it's really helpful to get the reviews. So uh, if you guys can take the time to do that, it would be awesome. And if not, we still love you. Also, if you guys have any feedback or suggestions or questions about the podcast, you can email themythsthatmakeus at gmail.com. Those emails will go directly to me and... I'd love to hear from you. Usually I just get emails from people who are having trouble logging on to their journaling course and I help them log on so that they can change their life through journaling. Uh, but that's also a place where you can reach out about the podcast. So uh, just know that. And I know the podcast has slowed down a little bit. There's a lot going on. Eric's running a company. I've got a bunch of stuff going on, so just know we're still here. We got lots of dope stuff coming this year, so stick with us. We love you. And enjoy this episode with David Gilbert. David, not Dave, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is an interesting one because you and I both just recently finished doing a fit for service mastermind or a summit. Uh, where for five days we did hard, weird shit, um, felt deeply, danced a lot, um, and now we're both kind of in the integration phase. But the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast was you sent an incredibly lucid email to me um, a couple of months ago where, just to give people context, um, 
David was in the first year that we did fit for service when we had no idea what fit for service was. Um, I was just holding on by the, I think the euphemism is the seat of my pants or whatever. I was just like trying to make this thing work. That was a vision that Aubrey had. And it's turned into a fucking thing. We're in our fourth year now. And you sent me a really incredible email um, where it was kind of like, it was constructive criticism in good faith. And I think that this is a massively important issue that I don't see in our zeitgeist almost at all. And it's that if you're trying to do something significant in the world, like if you're in the arena, like Teddy Roosevelt talks about with that quote, and you're not just a critic on the sideline, your greatest ally will be the critics in good faith. And that idea of in good faith is, I want you to succeed. I see errors. And I'm going to give them to you in a way where the underlying energy is, I want you to succeed. I want it to work. I want it to help. I believe in it. And it's something that we almost never see, like in the public in the public discourse, I think what we see a lot is criticism and bad faith, straw manning and bad faith, uh, gaslighting and bad faith, where the underlying energy is, I want you to fail. And the core of the email was basically like, why isn't fit for service making people fit to serve? Or why aren't people going out and serving? after having gone through it. And of course there are, you know, a minority of people who do. And there's uh, like, I have uh, an active roster in my mind, but you know, it's like, it's less than 5% of the people who go through seem to really be engaged in service in a meaningful way. Um, and after you had offered the criticism in good faith, you were like, oh yeah, and by the way, I rejoined and I'm gonna be coming to this event. Um, you know, the event that you and I just finished. And it was just, it, it was so refreshing. And it's also like, you know, I consider myself like an artist and a designer of human experiences. And I want people around me who are genuinely contemplating, how can we make this work? Like a thing that I see online is most people who have big followings get their followings um, either by trying to make things or people who critique the people who try to make things. Um, and then there's a whole different ecosystem that's like, I'm a political pundit. I'm not gonna have nuance. I'm gonna rally my base. I'm gonna be a demagogue. And that's a whole different thing that we don't need to get into. But there, there's a lot of um, growing platforms I see now or growing like accounts where the accounts are focused on critiquing people, trying to help people, which is an interesting thing to feel into. So that is kind of the background on why I was so interested in having a podcast with you. And so I would love to hear you kind of introduce yourself and why you felt the call to write that email and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you uh, for having me. Um, it's an honor to be here. And yeah, it's like you said, it's it's 
practicing that service, right? Coming from a place with an open heart and sometimes true love is a little bit rough. I mean, to a point, if we can look at nature, you know, it's beautiful of how it unfolds, um, but it could also be ruthless. But really what you touched on underneath that, it's as simple as nowadays, like how do we just make things better? You know, like how do we do that uh, as a whole? And through that simple question, like you said, we live in this age where we kind of get caught in critiquing. And if somebody's up there, like Jordan Peterson says, you know, the, the lobsters or the crabs pulling each other out of the bucket. Um, but how do we come back to really just how do we make things better? And I felt called because I've gone to see the journey of fit for service. I've gone to see your journey as well and how it's grown, but you know, being in it and then getting on the outside, it's easy to easier to see the shadows or see where there's some potential here and there missing. Yeah. And I could see the potential of the fit for service uh, container and like how much of an impact it can make by creating people who are fit for service and then sending them back. And now with more and more people in it, I mean, that domino effect can really make a dent in this universe. Um, and so, a quick point that I, a, th a thing that I've been playing with recently is that like uh, the fundamentally maternal energy seems to be um, all of you is accepted. You are safe. I am home. Mm -hmm. And then like the fundamentally loving uh, paternal instinct or like the fatherly instinct is I want to challenge you so you grow. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's always this balance of, I love you as you are, and I'm going to poke where you're soft because you're this young thing. You know, it's like, imagine an infant. It's like, you're home. And also I'm gonna put this toy right out of your reach. You know, and like let your nervous system stretch and move and try to contend with the physics of reality so it can grow and adapt and that too much of one, you get a mushy blob as an adult and too much of the other, you get this thing that destroys itself with its own inner critic because it tries too hard because it doesn't think that it's enough as it is. And I really appreciate the uh, fatherly energy because it feels like it's something that's kind of missing right now. It feels like there was this zeitgeist for a long time of the shadow masculine where it was just this like dominating, exploitative consumerism type thing. Mm -hmm. And then the spiritual movement came about in the last like 40 years. And it was, and it just like any good physics, just like any good momentum of energy, it overcorrected to bring balance to the, um, to the imbalance. Mm -hmm. And now I feel that there's this opportunity to bring it closer towards the middle, which is like, you know, the Ram Dass-esque, have no attachments, 
find the true peace at the core of non-doing, non-being. But that in its extreme, like we have ecological, like climate degradation happening daily. Mm -hmm. There's exploitation happening by powerful entities. The war going on between Russia and Ukraine, regardless of what you believe, which is a whole side note about just how fractured our sense-making that you can post that you support Ukraine and you got people in your comments saying that, you know, you've been captured by the mainstream media, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Regardless of what you believe, there are people who are playing a certain game, who are at a certain table, and at that table there are nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And that the complete spiritual, like, swing of the pendulum trying to bring balance to what was happening you know before the vietnam war and the rise of psychedelic culture like those people are not making it to the table mm -hmm. you know and, th and th there's just this interesting tension that i at least feel in me of like i want to be fit for service i want to be able to um i feel at home enough in myself spiritually where I now want to enter into the game of illusion, enter into the game of separation so that I can be an active player to try to, I don't know what it's going to look like, but to try to help. Hmm. And I think that there's a critique of spiritual communities like Fit for Service where it's like, y'all are just obsessed with your healing and you guys are just, you know, here to like have fun and to do quote unquote self-work and to make money. And I think the thing that's really important for the critics to understand is most people in this world are crippled by their lack of self-love and self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. And that if you don't feel at home in yourself, how can you be of service, especially when it's hard, especially when you start to look at things like existential risks? And I think that there's this idea that Jamie Wheel highlights very clearly. And it's like almost like a prerequisite to be a first responder to the existential risks in our world now is you have to know radical hope. Mm -hmm. And to know radical hope almost necessitates like at least one massively transformative experience where you realize that there's some aspect of you that... Um, can be at home in any situation, uh, depending on what you believe, can like die and be reborn. Maybe a part of you exists after death of your body so that you can then go look at the existential risks and really be of service. And, um, you know, it's, it's this interesting tension that I feel as a coach and fit for service, which is, um, most people are at that first stage where it's like if left to their own devices in their in this culture they may destroy themselves to the point of killing themselves and it's like um let's get that right but that once that's right it's not about staying there it's like enter the game yep. and i can feel that a personal resistance that i have is 
people who feel like they've acquired enough self-love, but then choose to be in the like non-attachment story, mm-hmm. which is like a mostly spiritual story where they use that as a way not to engage meaningfully in hard problems in the world because that's attachment and that's ego. And there's a part of me that wants to say like, fuck you. So yeah. that's my own shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely love what you said. And it's, you know, come back to the beginning of what you're talking about. It's like how many people are running things, running things in the world right now where their shadow side, they're not even aware of, you know, they're unconsciously going through the motions. And it's like you said, like I'm a big fan of Jamie's work and he talks about, let's get as many people to start playing the infinite game. But in order to get there, we have to have some transcendental experience to get our heads above the clouds and see the sun and experience it ourselves otherwise we're always going to be wondering and then that sends us right back into our primal programming of okay we just got to survive we just got to take care of myself and then if that's not left unchecked those negative thoughts are going to continue to evolve and then you're going to be stuck in a negative pattern and then next thing you know there's no hope you're in the valley and you're you know it's dark it's raining and you don't know a way out and that's the beauty of these peak states, of these peak experiences. And that's one of the really powerful thing, things that, you know, FFS, Fit for Service, turned me on to was these peak experiences, these different modalities to get to know for yourself, you know, true gnosis of what that other side looks like. Because I like to look at things in polarity and it's when we kind of peek through like okay yeah there's this other side like there's this you know depending on how far you go you're like all right there's home like this feels like home this feels like i just know this place and then you come back and if we were to see ourselves more from the soul's perspective or like I just like to call like we're energetic beings right at the end of the day so we're made up of infinite energetic potential and that's more true than our egoic identities because our stories change but our energetic selves don't and we like to pretend that's not the case but when we you know can acknowledge that and then come back it's like we actually want to show up and play the game harder if we really did remember right yeah if we really were all energy you'd come back here and you'd be like holy crap like i just want to live harder i just want to experience as much as i can you know experience the totality of the human experience and i also want to help others remember too you know the thing that comes to mind is in developmental psychology, there's all these great videos of like the way an infant will explore a new space. <clears throat> and basically, depending on the infant's age and the infant's uh, secure attachment style to the caregiver, when they're in a new environment, 
they'll slowly start to leave like the home base of the mother until they interact with something in the environment that like stimulates their nervous system. And if it's too overwhelming, they then come back to the mom and they it's, it's almost like being close to the mom like regulates their nervous system. And then once they feel like they have their capacity back, they then go out further and then they come back, touch base, then go out even further. And then again, depending on the age and their secure attachment style, once they've done that a couple of times, then they stay out and they play until the mom is ready to leave or they bring the child back. And the way that I think about that as adults is it's like, you are always going to have a little child inside of you. And I think that that's one of the big parts of quote unquote doing the work is really recognizing that you've got a child inside of you and uh, the world will overwhelm you. And like once our parents die, um, e either biologically or psychologically, which is a whole thing that we could get into, learning how to access that home state through experiential practices is like one of the required tools to have if you're going to to dare greatly in the world and try to you know bring a little bit of light to big issues like racism, uh, colonialism, uh, exploitive consumerism, the fallout of ecological disaster, uh, the trials and tribulations of war, being a first responder. One of the things that we're honing with Fit for Service is there are tools that are free, that are birthrights, like breath and dance and singing and art that you don't need to spend a single dollar on. But what does really help is that if you're in a group where everyone's all the way the fuck in, and the really interesting thing that I've noticed is that... <clears throat> If you offer the transformational experience for free because it's difficult, most people won't do it. And to the degree that they create tension in themselves through paying for it, if the tension of the price is greater than the resistance of doing the practice, they will actually do the practice. Mm -hmm. And like breath work is a really great example. Everyone here right now, if they for 20 minutes would be in a psychedelic space that if they've never done a psychedelic would be one of the most transformative experiences of their life and they would probably start to weep or they would probably start to have constrictions in their body that would bring up images and memories from the past of a time where they froze because whatever was happening was too big and they're not going to do it i'm not going to do it there's a resistance to changing my breathing for 20 minutes that I have to like bring the full force of my will to make myself do it. And, I've, and, and I have felt it change my life like a dozen times. Mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. and then the other one's dance. Is it's like when I ecstatic dance with a group of people, the fucking like weight that falls from my shoulder the freedom I feel in my body, the at-homeness I feel in my body, the sense of like, I can go contend with the things in my life that I want to contend with. Mm -hmm. 
two songs can get me there. And I will go weeks and not do it until I get into, until I get into a group. You know, thank God I have a partner now who loves to dance and sometimes we'll get into little dance-offs, but it's not quite the same. And so there's this interesting tension if you're going to create a communal container that helps people experience that homeness, that gnosis, mm -hmm. because um, the, the fundamental tension is that when you do it in community, you will lose a little bit of your sense of self mm -hmm. to merge into the communitas. Mm -hmm. And that one of the obligations of the container creators, the container holders is First, not to do any shitty, exploitative, weird shit once people are open. And just as a quick side note, um, we've had probably, you know, 12 or 15 experiences like this. And we had a guest coach come recently that like kind of pitched their program at the end. And it's the first time any, any vibe like that has been in the container. And it felt so disruptive to my body to feel like I could almost feel like I was trying to like protect my kids. Like there was a part of me that was like, don't, don't fucking do that. Uh, but when I was able to step out of it, it was really clean, but it was still the first time I'd ever felt that. And this is one of the things about transformational communities that are why they can get so fucking sticky is people are so open. And if you bring any of the like persuasive black magic, like buy my thing to go to the thing, to be the thing, because you can't do it all here right now. Um, I don't like that. But the other tension that I do like, and I'm trying to figure out how to do is once you merge with communitas, you have to recenter back into yourself and go out into the world and do hard shit and yep. help people. Yep. That's it right there. <clears throat> and you touched on, you know, it's, we have these peak experiences to bring us back to Monday morning, to bring us back to regular. Ooh, and the play on words is mundane morning, mundane, but also Monday go. morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, I like to say we transcend to sink deeper into our humanity. Yeah. But like you said, what's really exciting now, it's what's really emerged more and more. I mean, Jamie Wheel is the master of this, but like the idea of hedonic calendaring, the idea of are you consistently hitting those peaks? Are you consistently doing those little things that really simply bring love and joy into your life and make you feel a little better and then maybe even open you up to something bigger to slightly transcend or, or feel a sense of wonder of awe? And are you doing that consistently? And, you know, as a coach, same thing. I see people too. And it's like, we have to put some parameters on there. If that doesn't work, sometimes we have to um, put some stakes at hand, you know, maybe make a challenge where if they don't do it, you give some money to somebody you don't want to. But it comes back to consistently hitting those peaks if you're someone who's really busy and you forget to. Now there's the flip side. There's people who will naturally consistently chase those peaks and it's are you making enough time for yourself to you know integrate whatever you get out of those peaks whether it's inspiration you know 
um, the solution that you need, the healing that you need, or the connection that you need. And then coming back and making time for that and making enough space. So that's what's cool about the idea about, <clears throat> you know, hitting it on a rhythm, really just having a rhythm for those practices that get you there. But like you said, there's a lot of people who haven't even had that experience in the yeah. first place. And then they come to fit for service and then they have this experience and then they look at the coaches and like, oh my gosh, you guys are responsible for this. You guys are gods. And then they, you know, have their brothers and sisters and they're like, this is amazing. I just want to live in here. You know, this is ooey gooey, magical estasis. And <clears throat> it's, it's so easy to get caught in that, especially, I mean, today, the heaviness, yeah. the, you know, lack of basic connection, which is like a fundamental thing we all need for our health. It's a fundamental nutrient to the organism that is a human. Yeah, it's a foundation of positive psychology basics. Like, it's just part of what we need, that social connection. And then <clears throat> in a world that's so polarizing too, to just find, you know, quote, your people just is, is so refreshing. But what I've loved and, and seen now with the FFS container is it's evolved. It's, it's found that, okay, we see these tendencies now. And okay, I mean, the first thing is awareness and got the awareness and how can we, you know, bring people back to their sovereignty. Cause that's really what it's about, you know, coming back to ourselves and like the beauty of so many peak state modalities is that they're free essentially. So we have the tools, but how to remind ourselves that it's about us, you know, and our role and we only have, you know, one role. It's so easy today too, to get caught in. I got to save the world. Yep. There's so many problems going on. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do all these things. And what a beautiful, you know, like quote from Jamie is we're not expected to finish the work as in we're not expected to save the world, but that doesn't excuse us from it. So yeah, the, the way that I see it is it's almost like having a community is like there is a place in the forest that no matter where you are in the forest, you can look up at the night sky and you can see that there is a fire over there. And if you need to come rest and recharge and reconnect, you can come to the fire. But the point is not to be at the fire. The point is as soon as you feel warm again, there are things to go do in the forest. There's hunting that needs to be done. There's gathering that needs to be done. There's helping that needs to be done. There's building that needs to be done. There's healing that needs to be done. There's caretaking that needs to be done. And that like uh, where I'm at in my life right now, um, my s service is keeping the fire going mm -hmm. at night. But I don't want people to stay at the fire. Like stay as long as you need. But the end point is not to have a bunch of people staying around a fire. I'll tend the fire. I got it. Go do what that still inner whisper inside of you is asking you to do. 
And I also think it's important is like, there are so many different, like there are people coming to the fire fit for service that are at many different stages of their life. And there are some people who need, they just need to be at the fire, like for a minute because their whole life, they didn't think that there was a fire anywhere. And like, um, it's really raw and open for me, but I heard a share yesterday of someone who was planning on taking their life. Um, and then they came to the event and, uh, you know, the still inner whisper inside of them orchestrated things as such as, you know, now they're not going to, and thank God for that. Mm -hmm. And there's another person that's strong in my mind who had a severe physical illness for years and it's just starting to get better stay at the fire as long as you need to but there are also people you know like you that like i can feel the inner resilience is high enough you don't need to be at the fire long stay as long as you need to but go help go do you know and like we'll keep the fire going and the other thing that I think is really important is the, there's a thing in any type of transformational or healing work that the death psychologists were able to give a word to that's really important. And it's called transference and counter transference. Are you familiar with this? Mm. It's basically the idea of all of us have a inner healing force. And most of us will grow up inside of a family and a culture where our relationship to that inner healing force will be dis distorted and will be twisted in knots. And when we find our like quote unquote therapist or our quote unquote healer or whatever, what they do in their highest cleanest expression is they hold the projection of the other person's inner healing force. And that's transference. And most people will confuse that feeling with romantic love because they don't know any other type of intimacy that's at that level of potency, but it's because they're actually interacting with their inner healing force as a projected expression that they put onto the other person. And then what the other person will feel if they're not trained is what the depth psychologists called counter-transference and it's where they will begin to feel like they have romantic attraction to the person who's projecting that like God status onto them. And I was fortunate enough to read about that for years. And now that I feel it, like one of the things that I really, it feels like one of the most empowering things that you can possibly do is to uh, give that back to the person who projects it onto you. And there's this idea in Jungian psychology called the golden shadow. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. It's one of the most important things that I have found in Jungian psychology, especially because of the position that I'm in. And so most people are familiar with the classic shadow and it's where the darker parts of you that you don't want to own as parts of you, you project onto the other or onto the people that you hate or onto the people that you exile, whatever. But the golden shadow are the higher aspects of you that you don't claim because you either don't think that you're worthy or you don't think that you're good enough or you don't think that you can handle the responsibility that will come with that. And so you project that onto your idols. You project that onto the people that you admire. Mm 
and uh it's one of my you know um it's one of the it's one of the things i enjoy doing at these events when i have a moment with someone where i can feel that they're giving me their golden shadow and it's like this is you this is yours like the thing that you see in me that you think cannot be you you know like so for me it might be like smart kind space holding presence blah 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 super rapper thank you <laughs> that's actually probably mine um is to like that's that capability is in you that's yours and um again you know just in the same way that you can stay at the fire as long as you need to uh i'm i'm not going to make you take this back but i'm i'm going to hold my boundaries and not let you project onto me what are your gifts yeah yeah and that shows <clears throat> the maturity of you and the other coaches in the fit for service because it's so easy right to get into that position i'm sure and just want to be like yeah there's a lot of people nowadays like, yeah, I am the one that did that. Yeah, like keep following me, keep coming back. And that's really the beauty of, of seeing the, the fit for service container now. It's, you know, like I said to you, it's like there's this container and it's a place to come home, get charged up and then go back and, and do the damn work. And one of the, you know, major benefits myself going through it for a whole year and then coming back for this specific summit <clears throat> was I got a whole lot of tools in my tool bag <laughs> you know like I know if my wife uh had a huge traumatic shadow <clears throat> getting to know her shadow and having to integrate that experience like I could go take her and do some journaling props, do a dispatcher ceremony, and then follow it up with a static practice. And we're gonna cut through that really quickly because we got kids. We got a one-year-old and a four-year-old. You know, she's got clients, I got clients, and we're busy. And we don't always have time to just sit, whether it's in the work or in the feelings that we don't wanna feel and feel them fully. And when we have those tools, it's just like you said, it's it's building resilience and then yes it also takes hearing the call you know the hero's journey hearing the call and going for it and then you get that confidence that you took the next step that you needed to and that over time is going to build your inner confidence because at first it is kind of like a little duckling you know and you come mm -hmm. to the fire and you're like all right like i can relax like i could breathe finally for the first time you know i could take that oh okay, like, okay, back into parasympathetic. My brain can start to work, start to heal itself and get back and see bigger than the, the narrow vision when you get into fear or fight or flight or sympathetic state. And then it's time to build yourself up, you know, understand that there's all these tools and it's about experimenting, finding the tools that work for you and then bringing it back home and then ultimately the whole theme of fit for service is so that you can share those with your community. Cause if we just did that alone, you know, leaders in the sense of they are working from a place or, or serving from a place that they know they're supported, they're held, they're seen and they have magic to share. Um, 
then they can go back and they can and, and share that and they can have the confidence in their abilities when times get rough because it's only a matter of time it's only a matter of time before another wave comes crashing down that they know they're supported to go back out and and serve and that's been <clears throat> an evolution evolution of of my own of you know that first year I was introduced, like I said, to so many different modalities and I was able to utilize those when I needed to and then have the confidence to bring that back home. The metaphor that I like to think most about the psyche and about life is like a orchestra and music. And if you play one note too long, it starts to sound shitty. And that what makes a note beautiful is the space between the notes of no note. And then also playing a drastically different instrument that can create contrast. And one of the things that feels like one of the interesting points of tension is this tension between self-fullness and selfishness. And we have this really weird culture where we almost gaslight any self-fullness. And that if you gaslight self-fullness, your psyche is going to be sick. But that if you overindulge self-fullness, you will become selfish. And that there's this interesting tension in the spiritual community of, quote unquote, doing the work where in order to take that deep breath and to start to bring resilience to a nervous system that has been in a triggered state constantly for years, which is the baseline for most people, you will need to do self-full practices. You might need to say no to certain things and say no to certain people, and it might trigger them. You might need to change jobs. You might need to start to be really dedicated to your quote-unquote work and to your health and to all that shit. But then it gets to a point where be self-full enough to where you can begin to help, where you can begin to put yourself into hard situations and don't just try to stay there. And I think a specific example is really helpful. And it's that people who haven't woken up, quote unquote, to even beginning the work, um, they likely will have very bad boundaries with people very close to them who just leech off of them energetically and they can't even see it. And it's almost always like family members. And then once they begin doing the work, they're super empowered to create boundaries and they'll do it in a way that is often traumatic for the person who was used to that person not having boundaries and it triggers them and it hurts them. But it's almost required for the of the person who's putting up the boundaries. But what I see in the spiritual space is people almost fetishize the like, this is for my good, this is my boundary. And it's almost used in like a violent way against the other person, which at their root, the reason that they were overstepping with their boundaries is because they have a hurt part deep inside and they feel afraid and lonely and they don't feel like they have the resources to regulate themselves without. And the thing that I feel as like a specific example of being fit for service is, can you raise your level of resilience behind your wall 
where you can actually start to soften that boundary and let their dysregulated energy in in spurts if you really care about that person, like if it's a mother or a father or a brother or a child, and start to do the work of titrating their unregulatedness with your boundary to the point where you don't need a boundary with them. And the metaphor that comes to mind is it's like people with no boundaries, it's like a village with no wall and anyone can just walk in, take shit, walk out. There's no wall. When people first start getting into quote unquote the work and they feel empowered, they'll put up like a fence and they feel the like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then they put like a 20 foot stone wall with no gate. And they're like, oh my God, this is so peaceful. Holy shit. But someone who has been regulated with their nervous system for 20 years is on the other side of the wall and they're freaking out. And what I would like to see from like fit for service is people being like, okay, I can learn how to have a gate in the wall and I can, and I can practice opening the gate. And ideally maybe two or three years down the line, I don't have a stone wall. It's like a beautiful, like rose bush that like, you know, there's some thorns in the rose bush, but it's beautiful. And I can look over it and talk, you know, because I think people might get grandiose about like what it means to be fit for service. And I think at its core, it's, can you go home for Thanksgiving and be a regulating healing force for your family? And the answer to that is no. And you think that you've got to go save these people at some other part of the world, you might be spiritually bypassing. And that it might start with, can you be a healing, loving presence to your family and then to your closest friends? And this is like in conversations. You know, like, can you have healing conversations with the people closest to you? Because like one of the things to connect to is most of us are not going to be in situations where it's life or death. But most of us, our nervous system's closest feeling to life or death is when we get into a contentious conversation with someone that we care about and our nervous system gets fucking activated. Can we use the practices of the breath work and the dancing and the despacho and all the different modalities that can bring us into a level of calmness inside of our body when someone that we've grown up with for 20 years is saying that just right thing that every time in our past 20 years when they say it to us, we, be, we get angry and mean to them. Like I had this moment um, this past Christmas. Uh I'm going to get vulnerable and maybe overshare for a moment. But when I was first coming on to the work, um, I was very aggressive at trying to make my family change. And uh, one of the most dangerous spiritual ideas is that you chose this life or that it's your responsibility for what has happened to you. And this is a very dangerous idea because it's so healing if you claim it for yourself but only you can claim it for you. And it's so devastating if you try to force that onto someone who's hurt, who's not ready to take it. And I remember I had a conversation with my mom when I was like 20, where uh, 
I was misunderstood, but I also was not able to speak clearly where she took it as me saying, your life is your fault. And it caused a wound between us that for 10 years, whenever we would get really deep into a conversation, um, she would get angry and start to cry and bring that point up in some way. And I would get defensive and angry back. And just this past Christmas, it came up again. And I could feel that I was able to hold, you know, because my very personal specific wound is uh, I have to be a good boy. And if the feminine is angry with me, I'm not a good boy. And, I, and all my shit comes up. And so I could feel my mom in this state. And I could feel that because of all the shit that I've done through doing really intense experiences with Fit for Service and just like the fucking sweat lodges and the ice baths and the breath work and the really vulnerable shares in front of groups of people, my nervous system was able to hold her rage, not be triggered. And I did something that I'd, I had never done in the previous 10 years. I felt into her experience, started to cry with her, and apologized instead of defending myself from a thing that I didn't think was fair. And she melted. And there was a part of me that was like, oh my God, 10 years. And all I had to do was say sorry in a way where she felt it. And then we were able to have a really beautiful conversation from that point that it felt like it really added some new resonance between us at that deep level of hurt. That's being fit for service. Like it can be quote unquote that small, but it's not small. Like it revolutionizes the self story of someone close to you. And the goal hopefully is as you get better at that, you can start to create a resonance of the people closest to you. And then maybe you as a group go out into your local community and find a plot of land and start to build a garden or you just go out as a group to your favorite hiking spot and you pick up garbage that you see. And to start there, I think a lot of people, there's this weird thing that I see happen where people can feel that there's so much pain inside of them and there's so much pain in the world and they try to skip six steps and try to solve things that they're not competent yet to solve. Someone shared something with me yesterday or the day before and they called it a level perception problem and it's that when you, or no they call it level confusion that when you confuse your level of competence with what your actual level of competence is it really dysregulates your nervous system and it's like start as small as you can but the goal is i want to be able to talk to someone like putin and talk them down but that's 20 years from now right now it's like can i fucking talk my mom down you know, to a place where we can be in co-resonance. Absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, it all comes back to relationships, right? And it's like, can you walk the talk with your everyday relationships? I mean, that's the real magic. 100%. That's the real magic of life. It's just, it's, it's easier now than ever. We get caught in this globalized world and we have access now with technology to see what's going on everywhere. And we're like, oh my gosh, I got to save that piece of the planet where it's really about coming back home and just 
being that example? Like, can you hold that space for others? Because, I mean, that's just a beautiful example of we get so caught in our own work, sometimes we forget that this humanity as a whole is an organism in itself. And we're as strong as the weakest link. Like, you know, we, if you're truly going to serve, we must, you know, put our hands out metaphorically um, by just being that example. And like, like you said, it can be as simple as saying you're sorry to a loved one or just getting into their reality instead of saying, no, you're not for me. No, you're bringing me down. No, you're, you're bringing my vibes down. Like, what are you doing? But instead come back to, to normal life and, and see that person and see them for who they truly are. And now, you know, back to what we said about the, the spiritual pendulum coming back. It's like, can we start with seeing people's true essence? Can we start to see that we're, you know, those energetic beings and that we're all in this together when we're one organism? Because if we started there, it's like trying to visualize yourselves, like visualize a cell that got all the nutrients it needed mm. and then came back and was like, no, nah, I'm not going to work with the other cells. Like freak off. I'm, I'm going to be my own healthy heart cell and the rest of the heart can just waste away. And that becomes a cancer cell. Like biologically technically when it stops communicating with other cells and begins to operate like it's an individual cell it starts to grow like a cancerous cell and the thing that's coming up for me is it's like it might be as simple and as hard as um ec ecstatic practices is to raise your level of resilience to hold space with someone else's grief. Because fundamentally in all of our relationships, if there's anything but love, if there's projection, if there's blame, if there's attack, if there's passive aggressiveness, there is some grief in their story. And like my example is a really easy one to bring this out from. And it's that I didn't want to sit in the pain of feeling her story fully because one, I didn't agree that it was, was true, but I was denying her grief. And in the denial of her grief, it created a rupture in our resonance. And once I got my nervous system to a place of resilience where when I was making eye contact with her and I felt that grief part come up, instead of defending against it, it's like I grabbed her hands and just knelt by the fire with her and just cried. And that removed all the gunk. And then we were able to talk like a son and a mother. And that one of the things that I feel is easy to not notice is our psyches, in the same way that they don't understand time, like if something happened to you when you were seven, and anything reminds you of that, your physiology will respond as if you are still seven. So it doesn't really care about time. Our psyches also don't give a fuck about the internet. Everything that you're interacting with relationally is like it's a relationship. And if you have people that you constant or like groups or whatever that you're constantly like on your phone hating or angry at, or whatever the thing is, 
the alchemy there is can you with your awareness make contact with what their grief is on the other side and can you grieve it and if you could grieve it it's going to relax all of your defenses and will actually allow for the opportunity to bring them closer but it's impossible to do that online you can practice the movements but it's only going to happen when you're in person with people and one of the things that feels like like one of the things that i imagine is the people i know who critique what fit for service is doing there's a part of me that fantasizes about like what would they do if i invited them i really think that most of them would in their nervous system would feel deep down this like oh, like an excitement they would want and then all these defenses will come up and then they probably wouldn't and that there's an interesting thing about quote unquote haters is that the majority of the world is completely apathetic to what you are doing and will be for your entire existence a slight percentage will actively critique or hate and i think that it's because they actually resonate with some part of what you're doing in a way that the 99.999% of people don't because they don't even care or see or think about it at all and there's a part of me that feels like your greatest allies your greatest future allies are your current haters and critics and there's this part of me that's like i want to sit by the fire with you um but i don't know if they would accept but you can practice at, at least i'm like now speaking to myself i can at least practice that with the people closest to me and so there's this part of me that almost like because i feel the resilience in myself most of the time i seek out in the people closest to me the parts inside of them that have blame or that have critiques or that have judgments and it's like I want to contend with those not to beat them but to like make contact with them bring them forward and to grieve with them. Yeah, you touched on some really beautiful points, you know. Like for example with coaching if you're going to create transformation for someone or the opportunity for them to experience transformation you first have to create space. Cuz that's where possibility can enter and not only do you need to create space but it's just like you said we need to sit and listen you know two ears one mouth can we fully listen to somebody can we fully acknowledge their reality whether or not we think it's so bad or so this or that that we think you know somebody can have a traumatic experience as a kid and for one person you know we, there could be twins and one twin can say oh yeah it was really horrible and one can say it was like oh it was kind of bad or whatever and we don't know you know we can't project what we think onto their experience right so we don't know their reality so when it comes to coming back home when it comes to truly being of service you know first we just have to listen like you said and then we can start to acknowledge their reality acknowledge where they're at whatever pain whatever trauma whatever this or that that they went through we can say 
okay and try to experience it from theirs without getting our ideas on top of that and then that will create the container where they feel safe and can open up and then that creates space Mm -hmm. and then that's where you know transformation can start to happen and that's the beauty with ffs too of having those peak experiences it gives us space it gives us space from if you're stuck in fight or flight if you're stuck in that inner kid that didn't heal you know that piece of you that's that's stuck in the past it gives you space to first see that and then you can start to heal that but it's just such a critical thing to to acknowledge that in the beginning that we need that space before we can create transformation one of the things that i can feel is uh so much easier to say and nearly impossible to actually do and it's that to listen in a way where the other person feels safe requires that you listen with a stance that you might actually change your mind And almost no one listens like that. Almost no one listens with the stance of, maybe I'll change my mind. And it's because I think most of us dramatically underestimate what it means to change your mind. And that um, to get into the neurophysiology for a moment, we are in a situation that if you didn't create stories around you, the weight of the existential reality that we are in would probably crush you to suicide. And there's a very rich literature of existential philosophy that goes into that incredibly deeply. So from the very first moments that our consciousness starts to meet the unmovable objects of reality, we start to create stories so we don't implode under the weight of the existential weight. And that we start to create this whole structure around us and it's our ego identity of stories. And when someone is trying to attack one of our ideas, it feels like an attack. Our physiology will respond as if we are physically in an altercation and this can be measured by brain scans. To be willing to change your mind is to be willing to have like a limb of your psychic body die. And most people who haven't gone through, it's really interesting to make contact with, but that one of the essence of the human organism is our ability to die and be reborn. And it's one of the ancient messages from all the religions, all the mystery schools is learn how to die so you can be reborn. But most people are still in their first ego story where they don't even believe. They have no experiential knowledge that a part of their story can die and be reborn and that the rebirth is actually a much more beautiful and expansive story. And so people people will literally attack and kill to protect a story from being changed. You know, and like the story of your nationality or the story of your race or the story of your gender, whatever it is, you look through history and that story is strong enough where people will kill other people for it. When you're in a conversation with someone, most of us are listening for openings to attack. That's like the first stage of listening. So it's like, I'm not even listening to you. Then there's like the listening of I'm listening 
for my opening to share what I think, which again, both of those stories have no opening to actually have your mind changed. And then there's like a third story of like, I'm so spiritual, I'm so wise, I can hear you fully, but it's still a complete armoring against actually having my mind be changed. And then there's this really vulnerable, what's interesting is it doesn't feel vulnerable, it feels organic if you're interacting with the other person like they're genuinely your friend and that you don't feel fear. And that feels like the best type of conversations where like both of you are trying to are actively trying to update your story. You know, like these are my favorite type of conversations where it's like two people or a group of people exploring an idea so they can learn something new in real time. And the thing that I could feel uh, with my conversation with my mom is I still wasn't listening in a way that was allowing my mind to be changed, but I was listening in a way where I was allowing myself to feel something that I didn't want to feel that I knew was true for her. And maybe on some level that is having my mind changed. It's really having my heart changed as I was listening in a way where my heart could change. And there's something, I think we are so much smarter than we give ourselves credit for. Like we are so good even if we can't articulate it to ourselves at detecting bullshit. Like, and it's because we've been interacting with humans for millions of years. It's like deep in our body. I also think we're incredibly good at being able to notice, is this person actually listening? And if they're not, walls, defenses. But if they are, there's something intimate and healing and uh like relaxing about someone who's actually listening and a big part of what we're trying to do is help people uh actually listen and it's one of the things that i admire so much about aubrey as a leader is his ability to change his whole ass fucking plan based off of listening to the group is what I admire most in him as a leader. Like it's such an interesting balance of like, I have the force to move worlds and I will listen, you know, to the whisper of a flower or to the wind or to the intelligence emerging out of the group. And it's something that I'm trying to emulate more as a leader. Yeah, beautiful. And I want to touch on for people listening, you're like, yeah, I want to listen. I want to be that listener. But you're like, where the hell do I even start? <laughs> I mean, it, it comes back to full presence, right? Can we be fully present in the moment? You know, can our awareness hone in? And the beautiful thing about doing the work is that we get to grab those pieces from the past. Or man, we get to help the monkey mind from trying to grab pieces that's in the future of our psyche. And we come back, we get fully present, but just like with listening to like understand it's a muscle. Yeah. And, and back to what you were saying, we can also get stuck with ourselves. Like for example, myself, you know, uh, through a breath work session, I, I saw my inner child take off his armor and that shit was thick. <laughs> and and previous to that 
you know, I could sit there and listen and yes, I would be listening, but you know, was I deeply, deeply in the present moment? No, because there was always this armor on subconsciously, um, that was there. And, and back to also what you were saying about feeling, you know, if you don't know where to start, this was a big takeaway for me from the first year of FFS was that first breathwork session in Sedona, my very first breath holotropic breathwork session with, uh, um, Anahata. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, we're going through it and I was like, okay, I feel good. I'm having some experiences. This is all right. But then somebody came <laughs> over with a big ass man hand, grabbed my hand, um, and just held it. And it shot me straight back to the night I lost my dad. And if you've ever lost a loved one, especially out of the, you know, out of nowhere, just suddenly, um, there's that shock to the system. There's that thought process of, is this even real? Is that, is that, you know, you get the news and you're like, is this even real? And then you go, why? Like, why? And I was stuck in that feeling of, of why, as well as I realized hindsight that what happened, I took all that emotion, all that grief, and I took that shit away. And it became hardened like a ball or like a piece of lead. And the breath work cracked it open. And then by giving myself a space to sit in those feelings and experience those feelings fully, then I was able to, or then the question popped up after that of, of what can I learn from this? And that was massive for myself to be like, okay, I thought I did some of the work and it's a point too to anybody out there. I mean, I know I had a, some childhood experience of my parents divorcing, which I also tucked away too. And I uncovered that 10 years ago, but I just shoved that right back away. I was like, ah, there's probably more trauma or something else. Um, but you know, it can be as simple as sitting in it and then understanding, oh, what can I learn from this? You know, presented me with a gift. And that gift was this idea of soul gold that those traumatic or painful experiences all have some soul gold underneath it. But we do have to alchemize it by sitting in it, by feeling it fully. And then we can start to transmute it by understanding what do we learn from that. And, you know, we don't always understand with pain, with trauma and everything that it's shaping us who, we, you know, it's shaping our stories. It's creating new stories. And then underneath that is a gift, a superpower. You know, like for me as a kid, my, my even deeper wound than, than losing my dad was I'm powerless. You know, um, I don't matter and I'm not safe. And that feeling of not being safe is like another example of subconsciously getting in the way of, of being in the present moment. But back to the soul goal, it's, it's these experiences, you know, like I'm not safe actually gives me the ability to read situations really well. Yep. And we all have these gifts that we get from it. And it's the only thing we get to take with us in the end. That's why I call this soul gold. A thing that comes up that um, my mind really loves to feel into the types of perceptions that you cannot notice until they're gone. 
And then once they're gone, you're like, holy shit. And like a really good example is if you grow up eating shit, just shitty food, you have no idea how taxing that is on your biology until you start to eat healthy. And then once you start to eat healthy, you're like, oh my God. And then like, if I have one meal that I know is just full of processed inflammation causing shit, I feel it really clearly in my physiology in a way where for 20 years I couldn't feel it because I had, I had numbed myself to the point where it just felt like baseline. Trauma is like this. And it's one of the reasons why anyone who has felt any part of the armor come off, it's like all they can talk about. And then people who have never experienced it, their like eyes start to glaze over. They're just like these spiritual people, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's a really great metaphor is how heavy is your phone in your hand? And people will guess a whole bunch of different weights. And it's like, none of that matters. If I hold it for a minute, it's nothing. If I hold it for an hour, my arm will start to feel overworked. If I hold it for a year, my whole arm is numb. Our trauma is like this. And when we have things that were too big to feel in that moment, we just like place a piece of armor on us. And if you're tired, all the time, if it's hard to sleep, if whenever you take a shower, you start to think about things that happened in the, in the past or you're worrying about things in the future, if whenever you're talking to someone, you can feel that there's a part of you that's just looking for the thing that is confirmation that you're not safe, or if you're on your phone and you're just doom scrolling, you can have experiences where you feel the armor come off for a moment, all of it, for a moment, because it will come back on. But your nervous system for a moment can have this feeling of, this is possible. This level of peace within myself is possible. And then that's when the, like, the really interesting game starts of like, all right, how can I either take off the armor for good I actually don't think that that's the way. I think it's how, how can I restructure this armor where it becomes something that is of service to other people? And what's interesting, and this is a whole interesting side note that maybe we don't need to go down, but I think um, one of the most important myths that have arisen in modern times have been superheroes. And uh, the essence of the superhero myth in the US is based off of the immigration story. Our entire nation, um, the majority of it is built off immigration, immigrants, the other coming and trying to create a new life. And the first superhero that was super big, like the first God that we worshiped outside of Christianity was Superman. And the thing about Superman is he was invincible. And the storytellers of Superman actually found that they couldn't tell interesting stories about him because he didn't have any weaknesses. And so that's when they would start to create like kryptonite and that if he didn't get the sun enough, blah, blah, blah. What's been really interesting is in the last 20 years, uh, 
the superhero that has come to the forefront as like the top god was Iron Man. Back in the day when Iron Man was first written into lore, he was a minor god. Um, but now in the last 20 years, the Marvel movies as like one story, you could make the argument has gotten the most human life force put into it since the Bible. Like the most amount of money, the most amount of human creative resources, the most amount of people watching it. You could think of all that as like mana for a God. And it tells the arc of Iron Man, you know, like he's the core story in that. And if you see Iron Man as like a representation, he literally lost his heart in a cave from a traumatic experience put it inside of armor and then built his entire body out of armor. And the end of his story is he sacrifices himself so that the next generation of heroes can live. And he was able to do that through reconnecting to his heart and having a family and becoming like a multi-generational type thinker. Because before that it was all about him. It was all about now. And when I really feel into that, it feels like that's one of the core myths of our time is that uh, most of us, before we start doing the work, because we have this trauma, we're just trying to let me make my money, let me get my power, let me have my fame, and let me have my beautiful suit of armor. And then it's having a community around that that starts to give you permission to like relax a little bit and relax a little bit and relax a little bit. And it's not until he had a daughter where he was willing to make a sacrifice. And it feels like one of the things that feels heavy for me is it feels like there's a lot of people in the spiritual community that have overcompensated for the shadow father of the 50s and 60s and have swung all the way over to like the Ram Dass Esque icon of I'm going to remove myself from the game fully. And the interesting thing, I had a mushroom experience where I went on a tangent where it was like I was talking to Ram Dass and I was like, um, it felt like because of your wound with your father, you gave up on the game and you went to Hawaii and you played your song and it was beautiful, but I wish you had came back to the game. And it feels like there's this like fundamental father wound because of the way culture has operated for a long time in the last 100 years where there's something, it's, it's almost like a lot of spiritual people are giving up on the quote unquote attachment of being a father, of being a mother. It really, I see it more in men. And so it's really a being a father. But that there's something about the Iron Man story that like the thing that finally opened his heart fully to actually be of service beyond just himself was having a daughter, you know, was being a father. And I feel this weird movement in the spiritual community of a lot of really amazing men um, telling themselves stories to not be fathers. And it feels like, uh, you know, fundamentally why I do the work is so that I can be a good dad. And I can feel that that's my like driving and like as a symbolic thing, you know, like I want to be a good father to everyone's inner child, including my own. And hopefully one day I get the opportunity to actually be a good father to my children. 
And it feels like there's um, a key there that I haven't quite articulated yet. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful depiction too, where at least my take potentially where we are as a collective. But I also want to back up and reiterate what you're saying of Superman versus Iron Man. Like, if we all did the work and became Superman, like, how fun would that really be? How fun would it really be to just be perfect? You know, like, if you were perfect, then you have nobody to relate to, like Peter Crone says. And I think that's a beautiful thing to remember when we show up to do the work that we're never going to be done. And there's always more work to do. But that's really the beauty of it. You know, there's always something else to keep working on. And yes, if we can just accept the fact we're never going to be perfect, you know, and even maybe even say we don't want to be Superman. We want to be, I mean, the what's the the ultimate story of coming back of like the Iron Man journey of having to relearn to know your heart and sit in your heart. That is the more beautiful story. And, you know, as a collective, like you're saying, I can, I can definitely relate as a father. Um, and it's also back to what you said. Sometimes we need that little kick in the ass to get us to get up and go do the work. And there's nothing like having a kid that's going to make you show up and, and do the work. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor potentially for where we are now as a collective of, yes, we have the wound of the masculine and the masculine is just running us off the cliff. And it's time to give birth to the mature you know, feminine and one part we have to slow down and just accept where we are and accept ourselves and accept once again, we're not going to be perfect, <laughs> you know, and this work, we continually do it. We continually do it so that we can show up and build a better life for future generations. It's coming back to how can we make this, how can we make things better? Yeah. And the thing that comes to mind is I think a lot of people, might have a flinching at the idea of um, doing the work and continuing to do the work. But the metaphor that feels like it alchemizes that is it's a song, man. And as long as you are alive, there is a song coming out of you. And in the same way as any child, if they hear music, what does any child want to do? They want to start to move in a way that feels in resonance with their body to the music. As long as you're alive, a song's playing. So there's always going to be the call to be in resonance with the song. And as you get into resonance with the song inside of you, you're going to start to meet other people's songs and the song of the land and the song of the community and the song of the neighborhood and the song of the nation and the song of the people and you know the song of humanity as you see it. And at every level, there's going to be tension. And it's like, can I hold my rhythm until I can bring it into resonance with the next sphere and then the next sphere. And at any moment I could lose the rhythm in my core and you start over. But the starting over has this felt sense of like any good dancer, it gets easier and easier to step back into the flow of your song. And like, All right, I'm back here. And anything that you've resonated with before can draw back into resonance with you. And the way that I see it is like, we're all these orbs of music and we need to, you know, 
step one is to come into resonance with your natural song that's coming through you. That's your daemon. That's your inner whisper. That's the things coming through you organically as they are. In order to find that resonance, you've got to go pick up all the pieces in your past that are frozen. You've got to learn how to feel the grief that put all the armor on your body. But once you start to do that, then it starts to get interesting. It's like, okay, now I can start to bring my resonance to people I care about. You know, like the example with my mom, it's been 10 years of our song orbs bumping up against each other where we mostly mesh until that one chord comes in. And then we come out and we were finally able to get those orbs to resonate. And now there's like a fundamental easier resonance there. And like, as me and my mom resonate, me and my sister and my mom start to resonate. Then me and my sister and my other sister start to resonate. And then slowly, maybe we get my dad in there and I, oh, now we're a fucking unit. Maybe we can even get her or my mom's mom who has never resonated. Maybe that can start to, and then you can start to see like, oh, cells are starting to resonate with each other in these small pockets. And it's like, there's this idea that we've never actually seen the phenomenon of what humanity actually is because we've never been in resonance at that level. And in the same way that a couple of cells in resonance can give you like tissue and then an even greater amount can give you an organ. An organ starts to do things that no cell can do. And once you get enough organs, you get a human. Cells that can think and make art and create technology and have podcasts. No cell can do that. So it's like, we don't even know what the emergent phenomenon of humanity is because we have never known full resonance. But the beautiful thing about technology is it's the tool through which humanity resonance could actually happen. Like it's never even been on the table until we got technology. And so there's this interesting dance of, uh, I see technology like fire and fire from inexperienced hands can kill you, can burn down your whole fucking village. But fire harnessed is light at night, warmth in the cold, a place to come and have conversations, is a place for alchemy to happen, for cooking to happen, eventually leads to the creation of technology that then gives you controlled electricity. Like all of this is happening with controlled fire. And it's like we're at the very beginning of trying to learn how to harness technology. And I think that there's an opportunity for, you know, the song of humanity to actually happen. And I think what's also important is uh, to not get stuck in the delusion that it has to happen in your lifetime, but that you can contribute to, you know, a 1% increase resonance in your lifetime and to have it be a multi-generational project. Because I think a lot of people can start to get into their ego inflation if they think I have, to, I am the one that's going to do it in my lifetime. It's like, uh, you're probably going to derail your entire community if you start to tell that story. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I think it, you really illustrated fit for service too. It is the place to go to learn how to re-sing your song and then on top of that is the place like I spent a full year and I was a little resistant to came to come back, but there was the whisper, you know, of these, the potential of peak states. 
And with that, you know, the first year, like I said, a big part was learning to feel again and to like, you know, heal those, those parts. But then coming back, you break through to that next resonance. And that's really the beauty of the container is that you can go out and, you know, there's get back in, in, in life and then come back and there's always going to be another lesson to learn. Yeah. And this is a place where you can come back, get charged up, break through and then level up and level up when you need it. And also what you're saying, just like playing with fire, we have to point out too that a lot of these ecstatic practices is exactly the same. 100%. And the same thing, we have to come at it the same exact way and like acknowledge it and then know that this is sticky stuff and it could burn you too. It could take you past the point of creating enough space for transformation to where you just get stuck in the misto or or stuck chasing the next peak experience and you know harnessing a stasis is akin to stealing fire from the gods and when we harness more and more stasis life force kundalini energy chi whatever you want to call it you know we do start to just simply shine a little bit brighter and then when we're around other people they could feel that resonance and you just being maybe even a couple steps ahead you know whether they acknowledge it consciously or not are like okay it's possible like there's this other way that's possible and i think that's the beauty of the moment that we're in is more and more people are doing the work um but it's ultimately about that embodied human of what it can look like to sing those songs to wake the other, you know, wake the other people up, but just really show them that we can do things another way by doing these ecstatic practices, by doing the work on ourselves, by ultimately just integrating all the parts of ourselves and being that embodiment. And that's as simple as being the embodiment and, you know, then having the tools to build your resiliency and build your confidence and and break through to that next level of resonance and then bring that back home that's how we change the world what do you feel was the resistance that you had coming back and what is your perspective now going forward like when it comes to fit for service yeah i mean it was just some egoic of like i don't need to come back again oh, i don't need to give them more money um or am i just chasing this next peak experience but having gone through it with my own dharma um alchemy has been i've come to understand has been a big part of my life um where even like my tattoo sleeve was done in different parts and then it, i found out it tells the story of alchemy to a t and it was just like one of those crazy epiphany moments yeah i love those <laughs> um but coming back a, I had a big part of me of I'm not, you know, I, I feel powerless. I don't matter. Um, similar to you, that if I'm just a quiet, um, you know, good boy, then maybe I'll be fully seen and heard and got to transmute a lot of that as well as for my own dharma. Like I said, it felt like, seriously, when I got back off the plane and 
was coming back to San Diego, it felt like Legend of Zelda, like when the treasure chest appears and it opens up. And I was like, oh, like now I understand the art of transmutation through these ecstatic practices. Through, like I said, I did it previously for my wife. I helped her out, but now got a whole nother level of depth. You know, we did um, traumatic release therapy. And then I was round two, which was your journaling exercise. And there was a really awesome data point of that doing some somatic release before getting into journaling um, really opens you up on another level. So for my own story, you know, peak states, I've been excited because A, what if we can make certain aspects of healing as fun as going out to a bar on a Friday night? 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And B, um, the art of transmutation and like, how quickly can we discharge trauma? You know, we know with MDMA therapy, like two sessions can, can do a lot, you know, 80 to 90% of people with severe PTSD, um, are feeling better and, and you could do meditation and, and then trauma therapy. And that's like six weeks or, or even surfing a flow activity in trauma therapy, but we can start to, which is exciting now we're we're understanding all these modalities and we can stack them together and we can cut through a lot um and and break through to that next level of resonance which like you've been sharing too we have all these things going on in the world and if we don't make you know sense if we don't have our sense making and we don't have our abilities to get over challenges because i think that's another key part too you know making sense of the world um but also the ability to honor challenges are a part of life and overcome that then you know we'll get crushed by life or get crushed by everything that's going on in this world but we can learn the tools use the tools on ourselves be more resilient and then know there's containers like ffs to teach us more or to you know if the right thing whispers to you um hear it because at the end of it there's going to be there's going to be a prize there's going to be a gift and my vision is like one of the things that i track is the spiritual mentors that i that saved my life when i was young were alan watts terence mckenna um and Ramdas were the were like the major ones who aren't living, and then eventually Carl Jung came online. The interesting thing is, from what I've been able to see, as a family man, they were not admirable, and that they chose to serve the collective before serving the family. And like what my uh, like dream for something like Fit for Service is that one, um, any of the people who feel inspired go create their own fire wherever they live. But that fundamentally it's like, it's a Tuesday. They've got two or three kids. Their partner is sick. How can how can they at the end of the day spontaneously through play put their whole family through an ecstatic dance or in the morning everyone prays and does breath work together 
or at the end of a day that was really hard, everyone sits at the dining room table and journals and shares about what, about what came up. That to me is the future. The future is children seeing their parents use this and how they parent so that people, so that the children can feel safe. Like what would a generation of adults look like that didn't have the trauma that we have to work through? And that um, it's cool to do dope shit, to make large events, to um, help a bunch of people at once. But I think the like core of the fire is around a dining room table and it being a family. And that um, what I'm hoping for Fit for Service is that the people who come to it, it becomes so intuitive to how they navigate life that it starts to show up at their dining room table. And we're not there yet, but we will. Doing the damn thing. Doing the damn thing. And it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, like, what would humanity look like if we were healed, but we're not always going to be perfectly healed. But what if we knew we had the tools? Yeah. Like what if the baseline was, we are safe enough where what is talked about at the dining room table is what can we do for our community this weekend? Like what can we as a family go out? Like you, you see that lot on the way to school that's been a Pandand, what if we go do something there? You know, like that, like, like the way that my brain is thinking is we're not saving the world in our generation, but how can we set it up where the baseline conversation for the next generation is not inner work, but it's like, what can we do for our community? You know, like just to move it that one step is like, what my goal is and maybe the goal is too small but that feels like that's significant enough that if i did just that 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 would be dope and i'd add a part also to share with the next generation that we simply need to accept the challenge or accept the inevitable fact that trauma is a part of life yeah. traumatic experience are a part of life and we can choose to unconsciously, you know, keep going after that traumatic experience, or we can consciously look at it. And then that's when we can make real progress. Amen. I think that that's an important thing to note is that uh, your tender little body will smash up against unmovable forces of life and it will create traumatic experiences. And that um to ignore it like fundamentally what makes a traumatic experience trauma is where the individual the the tender little body that experienced the unmovable object doesn't feel like they have anyone that they can go to to share it with because often it comes from a caretaker and that um if they had a place to go the traumatic experience would not become trauma and then we could go plant gardens and then we're resilient as fuck and we're building a shit ton of gardens and everybody's dancing. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your uh, earnestness 
and your passion and frankly, your criticisms in good faith. I feel like that's what's going to help us do dope shit. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I just have to say too, it's been beautiful to see the coaches like as well as the the fit for service container to really blossom to reach that next level of maturity to break through that next level of resonance and when we came back we're like Oomph. they did it and this is a whole nother level of, of resonance for fit for service so i'm excited to watch where it goes thank you man that means a lot all right y'all much love peace